Welcome to Dialed In Live, the podcast featuring today's business leaders in technology and startups. This podcast is pre-recorded live on LinkedIn every Tuesday and Thursday at 3 p.m. Central. This is episode 55 featuring Royce Humpert Jr., an active cybersecurity practitioner. It was the last episode of 2019, right before the holidays, and as such, we talked about holiday scams to look out for, social engineering, and even a hacking device called an Uber Tooth, which I'm still not sure if that's for hacking Uber drivers or something else. More on that on a future episode. There's a lot to unpack here to keep ourselves safe from cyber attacks. Hope you enjoy. As always, I'm your host, Kyle Burt, aka Catch Kyle. I'm a startup technology advisor and founder of CatchCloud.com. Let's get dialed in. What's going on? We're here with another show, Dialed In. Uh, I got Royce Humpert in here, cybersecurity practitioner. We're going to talk talk about today about cybersecurity scams, uh, most particularly holiday scams. And I couldn't get live fast enough, man. You had Apple, this Apple scam, call you just now. So let's and I was let's hit the live button fast enough. Let's talk about that one for a second. You, you want to go right into that one? Absolutely. Let's let's jump on that one. That way we can talk about that because I've literally I've had that for the past oh eight calls now from that unlisted number. So a great rule of thumb is if you don't know the number, don't pick it up. Well, in this case, it's unlisted. I've heard the voicemail come across as this is Apple contacting you. Your iCloud and IP address have been breached. They want to have Google help you resolve the issue. Well, okay, number one, that's not going to happen. Two, absolutely not. So the last time I got this call a little earlier today, I sat there and said, um, what's iCloud? Who are you? And just, I kept janking their chain because it's fun. And I've gotten pharmacy calls. So the category of things that we're talking about is voice phishing. They're trying to record you enough to get a profile, a voice profile on you that they can use to go crack your passwords with voice systems. And that's real crucial, especially right now, because holiday times, you have a lot of people. Is that them again? I don't know. Let me see real quick. Hello? No? Ah. Uh, That'd be so nice to catch that live. It would have been. So, so I, I like how we just jumped right into that. Um, but uh, give you give some more context here. So, Royce, uh, you were a former AVP, cybersecurity um, for Plains Capital. Yes. Right? And uh, I've been in technology... God, I was running networks when I was 13, man. So I've been doing things with information technology since I was a teenager. So I've got over 30 years experience doing this stuff. Incredible, incredible, man. So the, the point of today's talk, right, we want to draw awareness to cybersecurity scams, uh, help people become more armed with what's, what exactly is happening here. Because sometimes it might seem pretty harmless, mm-hmm. right? But like you said, in that scam, they want you to talk back to it so that they can collect the data on your voice. Right. Right. And they can collect those voice samples so that they could potentially use them to create a voice print. A voice print. And and what would they do with this voice print? So 
to make a long story really short, a voice print is what a lot of financial companies are actually using in order to get your multi-factor authentication set up. They're saying, hey, this is what we're doing so that when we hear you say yes, no, or the numbers that they try to get you to say, they use those to get into that. And so it works out that way so that you understand what's going on. But you don't at the same time. So this is social engineering at its best and worst. So you have three categories of these guys. You have the ones that'll do it face-to-face. -face. They'll normally have some sort of smart mic here. They'll either do it over the phone or they'll send you an email with a number to call. And all of those work for voice phishing. All of them. And then the email phishes, we've seen the, oh, click here to register for a entry to get a Corvette. Nine times out of ten, those kinds of emails are 100% fake. They're doing it to collect information on you so that they can then go get into whatever they want. But holidays, you're going to get ones like, oh, I'm out of town. Could you help me buy a gift card for Timmy? Okay, well, number one, there is no Timmy. And two, they're going to take that electronic card and use it to go buy something else that they can then trade in for cash and start to launder money. And that's an unfortunate real thing that happens with this. Is you need to understand that the process of cleaning money actually begins with us giving them things that they can trade. And it gets very scary with some of this stuff. So wow. So no, that's yeah. So I want to I want to help us all understand even more. That was some great context. Um, those of you that are out here watching right now, uh, we see you. Uh, let us know where you watch from in the comments. How's it going, Chance, Pat Benoit, Jesse Bartley? Um, I want to know like how many people out there that are watching now have have one of these scams in their inbox or at least have had one. Uh, my my bet is that everybody does have one in their inbox. Maybe it's hidden in their spam folder. Maybe it's not. But uh, what your experience has been, uh, it, has anybody out there actually been a victim of an attack? We, we'd want to know that. And uh, your, your phone's blowing up, so you might, yeah, you yeah. might get this Apple scam again. That, how, how serendipitous would that be? That'd be great. <laughs> so, um, is it? No. No, just a just telemarketer. Telemarketer. Nice. So let's go, let's go back into more of your background, into your backstory. So you said you've been in IT since, you said 13, 13 yeah. years? Oh, yeah. so you were 13 years old. I was 13 years old running network cable with my dad. Okay, so your dad was in the IT field. My dad was in the IT field, and we actually go one generation back beyond that to a phone company where my grandfather was actually, on my dad's side, involved in community telephone company. So... We've got generations of copper, and then my daughter, she's actually going to go be a cybersecurity analyst. She's going to go to UNT. She literally just declared. And 
they're excited to have her because one of my former professors is like, yeah, she's sharp. So he's looking forward to having her as a student. So it's three generations each way. Wow. wow. So your your fam your family has seen cybersecurity in the even in the telecom sense of like was it called black boxes or blue boxes where you basically hack the payphones so, to get so, yeah. To so get the blue box <laughs> the blue box was built. Okay. So those would literally hack the dial tones for long distance dialing, and that's really how Steve Wozniak wound up getting his name initially known and then you've got guys like the founder of no before kevin mitnick who the big reason everybody knows who he is is because of all the companies he was able to hack and most of it he admits is social engineering so and my daughter she wants to go be a red teamer so that's a very hard field because they don't give you information. They expect you to break their stuff. So so what, what's a red teamer? So red team I know what it is, but I want to yeah, so play with red, me here. So red, so red teamer is going to be the person you hire to test your systems and make sure that your security implications and your layered defense stand up. Now, whenever you talk about layered defense or defense in depth, each step has to reinforce the controls that the previous layer did not. So you talk about zones of trust, zones of control, and further zones of protection. If somebody gets into your zones of control, you're pretty well done. And all of the information that you're holding on to very dearly is out there. So that's an immediate breach. Those are big fines now. And it doesn't matter whether it is a federal U.S. government or international now, especially with the focus on GDPR. People are very, very scared of this thing, and they should be, because it allows the EU to fine American corporations for a data breach, if not reported correctly. Right, and besides that, it's just also setting the stage for... Maybe the United States to have something like that. Maybe China. Maybe everyone else to get on board with that, right? So, actually, we can thank California and New York for being the first two states on the books for having those kind of privacy laws. And, you know, what I need to say about GDPR so that we can actually say it's better than what our current privacy standards are is... GDPR focuses on the right to be forgotten and attaching a pseudonym to information rather than an individual's actual name. Doing that privatizes the data in a way that is unmatched. So when we, when we go to a website uh, under GDPR, mm -hmm. we have the right to be forgotten, meaning... Mm -hmm. You guys had these cookies on us. You put these pixels on us so that you know that when we go there, you go to your site, and then we don't buy your product. And then we go to Facebook, and now you're marketing us that product on Facebook. So we have the right to opt out of that. And that's, yes. that's what that is. So, And GDPR operates off of the opt-in, not opt-out model. Opt-out is an American concept. Opt-in is the European concept. 
So you have to allow that marketing to you to happen. That's the way that works. And that's the reason why it's such a different piece of legislation compared to what we have here in the United States. Right. So in a world that we have like the utmost privacy and security, it would just completely cripple all the market marketers out there. All their marketing efforts would kind of just It'd fall just flat. Fall flat on their face and they would be like oh, we can't do anything we can't sell your stuff but but the reason why it's not that way is because we as a society we as a people we don't like the friction of actually paying attention to our pri like we say we care about privacy and security we could say that all day right oh but do we actually elicit that in our behavior perfect. do we actually read the terms and conditions so perfect example i was at unt part of a uh, panel discussion and i I asked, and the only person who actually read the 17-page EULA that came with his Samsung phone was, like us, former AT&T. So that's, that's the other thing about my background uh, that you and I can get into is we know each other from AT&T. And I didn't take no as an answer a lot of times at AT&T because I knew that either A, it wasn't right, or B, there was a different way to get things done. And with cybersecurity, that's absolutely the case. You don't have to buy a firewall and a intrusion defense system. You can actually buy products that do both. And that gives you one layer of defense. Then you put antivirus on your laptops and other endpoints. And that's a great way to protect yourself. So, you know, if we're talking about home users, yeah, you have your gateway coming in from the fiber company, the cable company, the DSL router. Put a router behind that. Yes, it's going to slow you down a little bit, but it's going to give you an extra layer of protection that you don't already have. And this is sort of redundant because you and I have had this discussion, but when I think about whether or not you have a router that you can add a VPN or a intrusion defense product like Bitdefender to, that that gets you into Netgear. I'm and I'm not one for quoting specific brands, but Bitdefender and Netgear have an agreement. D-Link uses a different company, and Belkin, who makes Linksys, has a different setup. And then Norton has finally dropped their own router. So there's four solid choices. But, you know, for me, I'm a Netgear user. I have a lot of Apple stuff. I've got a lot of Windows stuff. I've got some Linux stuff stacked behind it. But it's a Netgear router that does not have standard firmware. So the more advanced guys in the crowd know what I'm talking about. However, I'm not going to say exactly which alternate firmware I have on my device because it's been out of warranty for about a year. So I figured, <laughs> okay, now it's time to go really play. But, you know, those are the things that matter. And then w let's get into this scam scenario. So if you're walking around hearing the bell ringing, check the kettle. What do you mean check the kettle? Check the kettle. Does the kettle have a plastic lid with a T in the center? Those are the actual people collecting for Salvation Army. 
Okay. If it's just an open kettle, double check their apron. Make sure it's a real Salvation Army apron. Otherwise, it's just like giving five bucks to the panhandler at the street corner. I got. I got to be honest. That's something I never thought. So that, I didn't see that, that coming from you just that's now. A, that's, that's a scam. That's a right. physical that's security right. scam. Because what's the likelihood you get your wallet out? You start putting the money towards him, and he grabs your wallet and runs. You just lost your credit card, your ID, anything else that was in your wallet. And man, guaranteed this has happened in downtown Dallas. Not to me, but it has happened. I actually had somebody tell me about it. So. Wow. So, so what about these um, gift card scams, right? Because yeah. like that's so like what I, what I when I think of holiday scams um and you can steer me clear here but i'm i'm thinking of the things that i've seen like right i've seen some of my customers actually fall for the gift card yeah. scam um yeah. we've implemented things such as a mime cast or a proof point right to kind of uh, it doesn't stop that but it it does in a way um help us with user awareness right yeah um but i'm, th I'm thinking of like the gift card scams um the ceo fraud and the click this UPS link. Oh, right. Good your, Lord. your package. Your package is here. Now, <laughs> now we have to give the education vendors no before proof point their day in court, if you will, because they are putting out campaigns to try to educate users about that stuff. Okay. So, number one, check the email address it's from. If it's an email you know and you still think it's fishy, reach out to the person who sent it. Make sure that they truly sent it. If they didn't, then their email box got hacked and then they're a distribution point. That's not fair to them, but hey, at least you know what happened. Right, or if you, um, just picking out a random company, if you work for Coca-Cola and the domain says, Cora Cola. They changed one letter on the on the domain, right? The, so yeah. How hard is it to register a domain name? It's not. It's five, six minutes. You're good to go, and the likelihood that you're going to get caught with the scam before the provider who sold you to the domain is going to really catch you is so low. It's not even funny. I mean. Most of these email scams are done and gone in 45 minutes. Wow. Isn't that scary? That is scary. 45 minutes. That is scary. You know, if, if, on that point of like the domain alterations, I mean, that's that that's why a lot of the bigger brands, like they'll you'll see them buying up like the misspellings of oh, their domains. As they'll, many they'll as they can. They'll try to buy as many as they can, yeah. And they'll, one of the reasons why domain squatting is now such a big business is because these people will first buy a domain and try to sell it for 10 grand. If they don't sell it for 10 grand, they'll launch their scam. That's the scarier part. That's the real thing that worries me is these guys are not going to quit. They're going to come at it from every direction that they can as legitimately as possible first and then if they can't get it that way they're going to get your customers and get your dollars that way and that ruins your brand and they're gone 
it's so hard to track these guys down when they get done. Wow. So could you could you tell us a story like change everyone's name to John and Sally, right? Just tell us a real story um, of kind of the craziest things, the craziest thing that you can remember right now that you've seen like a scam wise or whatever comes to your mind right okay, now. Okay, so um, there's one that I have and we'll call the individual Ray. Okay, so Ray clicks on this uh, email and calls me and says, I think I screwed up. Really? What'd you do? Well, I clicked on this email that said it was from Fjord. Why are you getting an email from Fjord? Well, he said this was important. What happened when you opened it? This great big pop-up came up on my screen asking for my user ID and password. Okay. So, tell me, did you enter any information? Yeah, I put everything that it asked for in. So... Not even 10 seconds later do we start seeing hits on routers. So you know which company I'm talking about where this happened at this point. I think I do. Yeah. And so we shut down the access to that account on those routers. Okay, great. About a week later, there's a massive dictionary attack on a brand new router. I mean, ridiculous. So, what is a diction? What is a dictionary attack? Dictionary attack is where they take an account and start slamming every password they have in a dictionary against it, and they do it so fast that account lockout can't happen. They just keep hammering and hammering and hammering. So your normal three and done protocol can't even kick in because they're still going so fast. And so with a device like a router, it's not necessarily going to immediately kick that out. It takes configurations and gold standard files for that to happen. But what did happen is they had a brand new router that they had to shut down. Totally shut down external access to, bring it down put it back into production two weeks later. And, you know, those are things that that stopped people getting services they needed just because somebody gave credentials that they shouldn't have given. Now, if Ray had been smart and said, hmm, this doesn't sound like this is right, and not clicked on the email, that wouldn't have been the case. But it was a case where Ray gave something up and it unfortunately cost quite a bit because we were that router was down for a total of a month and it should have been deployed 30 days prior yeah and in that case like uh, that specific router um it's not like it's easily replaceable no yeah we're, we're talking about a piece of equipment that is it's not millions, but it's it's definitely up there. It's a few hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, like that happens. You, you can't just go to Best Buy and pick one up off the shelf. No, it's not, it's it's not, not like happen. the $130 net gear that I'm talking about before. This is the major enterprise level equipment. And when you pull those down, format them, and do everything you need to, pre-production test, by the time you get to launching it, you do have about... 800 grand 
in sunk cost and getting that thing out the door and into production for a customer to use. So that's that's a scary principle right there too because you have to account for all the man hours that were put into testing it and making sure it was good. You have to account for its cost. You have to account for the software development that went into it. There's a lot of different things that go into this. Um, you know, that that's actually a good point to talk and change to the voice phishing a little bit more thoroughly because when you talk about voice phishing, you get it from a government scenario, you get it from nonprofit scenario, you get it from companies like Apple, Google, Microsoft. They fall victim to it most because people don't know the difference of, oh, well, I'm not going to get this kind of call. Um, so let's, let's be real clear. The IRS isn't going to call you first. They're going to send you a letter. And then if you don't respond to the letter, then there's going to be an agent who comes. They will not call you. FBI, do the same thing. Your local police, they will come to your door, but they will come with a warrant. With respect to the companies calling you, like the Apple call I've been getting, it's crazy that this scam is getting as far as it is. Well, well it's, it's, it's not that crazy when you think about what I said earlier, right? We give up our personal security like we say we care about privacy and security but, but m remember that youtube video i think it was like a saturday night live skit or something or jimmy kimmel yeah where they went like down the streets of hollywood and they're like hey royce uh what's your password yeah. and they're like oh i'm not gonna tell you that and they're like well uh how do you determine your password and like oh you know it's my it's my mother's mother's uh date of birth and so forth oh what's your mother's date of birth oh it's 12 1 uh 64 right like, so it's, they <laughs> were just socially just, engineering it yeah and they that, socially engineered it and that's the thing all of this is social engineering they are wanting to get information from you with the least effort on their part so in the case of say a non-profit organization you're gonna see them ask you for a donation now sometimes that's an automated call sometimes that's a person sometimes they say hey I'd like to send this out my answer to all those is either do not call list I don't uh, start with phone solicitations have a nice day if I'm going to donate to a charity I'm gonna start at their website I'm going to do the checks I need to to make sure that I'm giving them the money that's going to benefit the people that I say it's going to benefit. Because otherwise, it's not fair. And that's, that's a real thing for me. It, it makes a lot of difference when I look at this and say, this is important. So where's that money going? Is it going to a crook or is it actually going to who they say it's going to? Because I'll be honest, I've got plenty of friends and family and law enforcement and firefighters who I support 9-11 charities, but I'm not going to support somebody who calls me that I don't know who it is. And that's the thing. Know who you're talking to. Right. Verification, validation. You need all that. Yep. Um, I appreciate all that. I mean, the the summary there is that we need to be paying a lot more attention to, you know, 
to who we're talking to, who we're, inter- who, who we're interacting with. We do have some questions out there as well. Thank you guys for this. Uh, let's see let's, who's first here. Uh, Todd Scarborough. What's up, Todd? He said, uh, we need GDPR. Uh, when can we expect it to be adopted in Texas, and how can we push on this? Okay, so number one. What, 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 what is your take let's, on that? Let's, let's first start with the fact that it's actually already – in the process it's not gdpr it is a texas privacy act and it's modeled sort of in between the extremes of the new york and california acts so as far as what we can do to push this write your state senators write your state reps and let them know your privacy matters and they care and you care to continue voting for them if they put something like this in place. That's the biggest thing. You really have to push that this is how you expect them to vote on it and what you expect them to see. But yes, we do have a privacy law. Not law yet. It's a bill at this moment. But once it does get the governor's signature, then it will go. Now, there is another thing that's actually real crucial is there could be a U.S. privacy law that challenges GDPR's international authority. Don't know exactly what everything is on it yet because I haven't had time to study it. But to make a very long story very, very short, if this goes, the right to be forgotten will not be exclusive to Europe anymore. So that would be a huge benefit. Uh, wow. I hope that answers Todd's question. Yeah, and then that would be, again, that would be a good thing for us individually, security-wise speak, speaking. Bad thing for marketers. Eh. Another hurdle for them to jump over. Yeah, right? and, you know, they need to earn their dollars. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the next question. Thanks for that, Todd. Uh, the next question, uh, Ra- Rama said... Uh, OlympicFitness.com is a hyper hyperpiece or oh hi- hyperese Inc. Hypervolt scam fitness is spelled fitness with so basically two s's instead of or one s instead of two. two. So he just pointed out to our point earlier. Absolutely uh, of a of a scam domain. Absolutely, and they exist everywhere, and you can check them out through GoDaddy's domain checker to see who actually owns it. If you really have a question and you don't necessarily have some of the tools I do, GoDaddy's Domain Checker is one of the easiest ways. And there are other sites as well, but I find their information pretty reliable. Okay, excellent, excellent. Uh, And then we got another question from Chance Post. Thank you, Chance. He said, "Uh, what about these products on Facebook? They take your money and never ship or nothing like the product. I'm not sure about that one. Well, so if that gets into how you're paying for those is really the question with those. Because there's a lot of times when you're going to have a product promised and then through the beauty of the internet, the transaction gets layered and hidden. And so if you pay for it with PayPal or a credit card, 
you do have vendor resources and recourses that you can act on against that. So that that is an interesting topic because I, I noticed this recently too, like there's a whole slew of apps for this, right? Like third party, like a trusted third party. Like that's yeah. the whole thing. Like this could go into the blockchain con um, t t conversation, but well, so like we if, can, if you go on like have Facebook. that discussion in three sentences. Yeah, well, like if you went on Facebook Marketplace, for instance, mm -hmm. and you could buy something from somebody that lives somewhere else, you would have to trust them to right. send it to you. You could pay them in PayPal, but still that's not your vendor resource. Right. But that, that seems riskier than just going on one ad that even though we all know how easy it is to stand up a landing page to put the, oh, we accept Visa, PayPal, Master. It's so easy to do that. We accept all this stuff. Put your credit card here. Right. Even though, even though we, we could do that in 30 seconds now, we trust that. We do. Like we have a natural trust to that. And, you know, that's just because people do trust naturally. Now, they're, they're All you need to do is put like a picture of a lock at the bottom and say, this is SSL secured and we're, we're a secure organization. We <laughs> Just can, a picture. We can go find that picture. Norton's or McAfee's trusted and throw it on as a gift in a heartbeat. And it's you have to check for the HTTPS and you have to make sure that they have a link to the certificate. Because if you can check their certificate, the likelihood they're real is much higher. And that's really important to keep in mind. So that's the thing that we really should be watching for is, are we going to a site that is secured, has HTTPS, or enforces SSL on their payments? So that's why you want to use one credit card or one PayPal account specifically for those purchases. So that way you have everything tracked. There's no question what went where and why. Yes, I agree. So That is excellent. And, and guys, thank you so much for your questions. Um, please feed us more. Uh, I really appreciate your time, Royce. Like, uh, again, he's a cybersecurity practitioner. He's the guy behind the scenes, like doing all this stuff, making it all happen. Uh, so uh, he's seen it all, just about, right? We're always I've, learning, I've but, but you've, se you've, seen, you've seen it all. I've seen some crazy things. So, um, uh, well, well, let me, let, let's take Tony's question real quick, and sure. then I want, I, want to hear this cr I want to hear the craziest thing. So Tony said, um, so is an expensive layered security pr approach still the norm, or should there be an additional layer of cybersecurity like no before? So... Know before is a good component to a cybersecurity plan. But but it's just a it, awareness. It's, it's know before is an awareness layer that is actually mandated. If you operate in the financial sector or the energy sector or even communications, you have regulations that say you must educate your people. And now, now, is that on, like, NIST or something? It's on NIST, the FFIEC. Um, you also have FedRAMP and the Department of Energy guidelines that say you will not just educate your employees. You'll also educate your customers. So that's why you're seeing a lot of financial institutions reach out with this, don't click on that. Look at this email and make sure that you understand what's wrong about it. 
um, I, I've gotten no less than, what is it, four Chase scams in the last 48 hours. At saying, we'll give you a $50 gift card if you'll fill out this survey about how well we did. Number one, I know it's not right. It's not their survey. And two, it's not the way they would do this. So, it's pretty simple and straightforward there. Um, but the crazy thing, right? So, I oh, had, oh yeah, give us, so, spill the beans on the craziest thing. So, one of the craziest things I ever did, and this is me taking devices and actually testing them, is how I figured out where Bluetooth sits as a spectrum. So I have a little device I plug into a laptop and I open up a program called Wireshark. And I also open up an emulator and open up a full-blown operating system called Kali. Through that, I'm able to start Bluetooth scanning everything that is on the same channel as channel 1 in the 2.4 Wi-Fi spectrum. Because it sits in the 2.4 spectrum. In fact, Bluetooth sits on 1, 6, and 11. Really? So if you're... So wait, wait, wait a second. I just had a... I feel like I knew that. But so previously... I'm bringing this back to like a, a media thing. So I was using these wireless mics, right? Yeah. They're on the 2.4 frequency. Yeah. And then I got AirPods running Bluetooth. And like I would have sometimes some weird interference issues yeah that's why and uh, now that kind of like makes sense i because feel like I, I feel like i knew that but i forgot about that well connection but there. i mean with like with if like like airdrop on apple right airdrop is a perfect example you have to have wi-fi turned on and bluetooth because it's creating like a wi-fi bluetooth mesh bridge. network bridge that's why you can transfer a file faster because yep. it's using both and it's using two data bandwidths to get that file through incredible yeah Sort of scary about how that works, doesn't it? And, you know, maybe uh, I can come by at another time and bring some of those devices from the, what my daughter and I call the bag of evil. The Wait, the bag of evil? Yes. It's a little black bag, has all my different toys in it. Okay, so what? what give us something. Like okay, so um, the, the device I was just talking about is a little device called a Ubertooth One. And they make another device called a yardstick one. And these are radio frequency dongles that you just plug into a USB port, attach an antenna to, and they can either be directional or omnidirectional antennas. And they scan frequencies around and start to push what you tell them to. So wait, well, like you could, like you're talking about SSID stuff? You can do all sorts of stuff. It's not just SSID. So um, I I I know I know from seeing it, never from like actually like hands on, but like you could you could get a Raspberry Pi, right, Raspberry Pi, and you could rig this device so that you could go into a Starbucks, you could be sitting right next to a guy, and you could clone Starbucks Wi-Fi. I think it says Google Wi-Fi now. Whatever whatever the SSID is, you can yeah. clone that. Oh yeah. Get them to join yours, and then. Basically create like fake looking sites that, that they look real, but they're fake sites. 
No, and, you can do a, an even better man in the middle. You can let them go exactly where they need to go and capture their credentials. Oh. Okay. And that happens day in and day out. That's why you need to make sure that as soon as you connect to a Wi-Fi, you launch a VPN. Like every time, hands down, you launch a Never, VPN. N if you're connecting to a Wi-Fi, public, and you're not launching a VPN, you're putting yourself at risk. Okay, so what about these co-working places, right? More and more Same people are deal. working at co-working places. Don't and care. like we're sharing the Wi-Fi, even though it could be called Wi-Fi Secure, but we're sharing the Wi-Fi with I'm everyone I'm launching a here. VPN. If I'm sitting down in that workspace, I'm launching a VPN, period. I'm not taking the time to think, oh, can I? Tr no, there is no trust. It is launch the VPN. So, so right, right behind, right behind you back here, there's an Ethernet jack, right? Yeah. It's going into a shared, into a shared uh, LAN, basically. Mm -hmm. So even, even that, you launch a VPN. Doesn't matter if I know the network is shared and I can't truly trace every connection physically on my own VPN. So that way, I protect and encrypt my data. Because what happens when you launch the VPN? Everything that is on there is useless to the hacker because they can't decrypt it. And then I, I throw insult to injury and I run two VPNs on top of each other. Well, it's two VPN? How, how does that work? So, so that, I'm, I'm using a VPN right now to be able to make this show right. go live in the sense that my VPN is aggregating three separate networks into one right. it's called speedify right but it's also a vpn right just by nature because that's how it's that's how it's doing it right but how do you launch a vpn on top of a vpn on like an ipad so you would launch your vpn like say nord or private internet access and then you would launch your stream vpn so that these connections are encrypted and then within the tunnel, they have an extra layer. Sort of like throwing a blanket on top of uh, a key. Wow. So I guess that goes back to like the one of the one of the biggest things in cybersecurity is like, I mean, there is no one hundred percent secure. No. There's just a. Our house is the most heavily guarded house on the block. For now. For now. And that's the thing. Scott Schober says this best whenever he gives a talk is it's not if you will be hacked, it's when. And Scott Schober is a guy who I follow because he has been hacked again and again and again. And, you know, when you go into this industry, you sort of say, okay, I'm putting a target on myself. Have I been hacked? Yeah. And... Have I enjoyed fixing things? No, but it's what launched this passion for me to become a cybersecurity professional because I realized how hard it was for me to fix it. So I'm going to do what I can to help stop others from having to fix it. So that's the way I tend to look at it is we are in this together and my expertise benefits those who I get to share it with. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I heard I heard a gentleman speak at uh, I think it was Data Center World 2016. Mm -hmm. I've quoted him a couple times, and I've 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 given him credit for it. So now I'm just taking the quote now. <laughs> he said uh, he said there are two types of devices that exist in the world: those that have been hacked, and those that we don't yet know have been hacked. That's right. <laughs> 
He's a hundred percent correct in that. And I I do believe that you're talking about Ed Amoroso. Yes, that's him. Now, um, you know, I'm very thankful for Dr. Amoroso's uh, mentoring and tutelage he gave me at AT&T, as brief as it was. He also helped me get in line with one of his people and got some much more direct mentoring when I went and got my master's in cybersecurity. So I, I'm very thankful to the cybersecurity leadership at AT&T and how they really helped keep my path going the right direction. Yeah, you know, I, I could agree with that. You know, you, you could knock on AT&T a lot just because they're a big company. It's mm -hmm. They're easy to make fun of. Um, but like internally, like their, their training programs, I mean, they are incredibly good. I yeah, mean, they are. you cannot knock that. And, and a lot of the people there, they're, they're great, amazing people. Absolutely. But just as, as with any large corporation, the larger you are, the, the more red tape there is, the harder it is to get stuff done. Absolutely. And that's, that's why people are able to poke fun at them because the customer experience may not be as best as a startup, but you know, they, they do the best that they can. Well, and, you know, they, because they're maintaining a global network, it's it's not easy for them to detect everything. But, you know, they bought Alien Vault to rebuild their cybersecurity brand. And they've done a fantastic job. And So, so you said, um, just to interject here, you said um, the global network, right? So I remember when I went there, when I, when I was there in 2016, the last stat I heard was like, uh, 102 petabytes per day. That's probably way over past now. We're into like zettabytes probably now. Yes. How, ma how many, do you know the stat on like I estimated of how much AT&T alone sees? No, because it, you had to really ramp that up when you include the fact that they now own and run the HBO Time Warner network too. Oh, you yep. got to think about all that encrypted data that goes through HBO Go. Yeah, so now it's just like it's basically now like a, probably 100x of what it was. If it was 102 petabytes before, it's now we're into like 1.2 something zettabytes or whatever. Exactly. And it's only going to continue to grow. That That's the thing. We are in a media-hungry world, and the hackers know that, and they take advantage of it. Oh, you want to see the Star Wars movie for free? Here you go. And it's not but... They now have your information. The, the thing that you got to appreciate and both hate at the same time, because that's, that's me. Like, I appreciate the business case here. I also hate it. Like, hey, we control the transport yeah. that delivers the content, and now we control the content. Yeah. So back, like, what was it, like 1970s or so, AT&T had the whole monopoly, right? They got yeah. broken up, and now here we are again, basically... Uh, yeah, essentially, I, we're clo you, we're you close have, to that again. You have seven major companies that control it all in the U.S. Okay, right, right. That's way better than one. Okay, that's true. So, and I I have to give it to Randall Stevenson, John Stanky, and Ed Whitaker for putting AT and T back together in a way that has withstood several antitrust hearings. They they really have done a fantastic job. But, you know, it's people like you and people like Gary Vandercheck and Michaela Alexis who 
stand out there and create their own content, invite people who they trust as experts, which I appreciate. Thank you for getting me on here. But to the same point, we're now in a user-driven content creation world where, yes, we're hungry, but we also make as much as we consume. That's so true. And something just, this idea just popped in my head. It's probably silly, but now it's me dia right essentially it is it it's is. like it's like uh, we're on like individually like we are the media we are and that's the thing that you know you really have to think about and walk away from is what did i just did i just tell people oh and you know we've talked about this i give presentations for free to senior citizens in high schools to help educate the students and the seniors about these threats and these risks and how do you combat this stuff the easiest thing is you validate verify and identify who you trust and you keep to those rules validate verify identify uh-huh all right vvi all right and nice. it works so so what are um when you're educating um you know let's just call it people who are less in the know right right less informed so when you're educating them you know how do you how do you break through to them without like coming across like zettabytes petabytes rainbow tables like you know how do you so how do you do it a lot What's of times approach? i i use common language and instead of saying a rainbow table i'll say a really big dictionary of passwords that this hacker has um now does that really define a rainbow table? No, but they get the clue. Right. Um, to the same token, when a hacker attacks a server, the very first thing they're going to do is dump the users and password table right out of it to help build their dictionary. So now they have the encrypted version but unfortunately, there's things out there that allow the hackers to decrypt what's in the server. If they can actually get in an encrypted server and pull the active NTLM process, done. They own every account, every password. It's just going to take them time to break it. Wow. So help, help some of us understand. Like, um, like, so my Twitter account was hacked in 2016. I didn't have multi-factor on. I was just getting into crypto. So I right. was like, I thought I was pretty like aware of cybersecurity, but my Twitter account got hacked. You know, I had a small number of followers. Like, why would somebody want to hack my Twitter? So the average person, why would somebody want to hack my Twitter? I know the answer, but why? Can you explain to us like why, why they'd want to get into something, something as trivial, seemingly trivial, trivial as that? If I'm not at Gary Vee's Twitter, right? Okay, so let, let's let's take that example, right? If somebody wanted to post a malicious link on Gary Vee's Twitter, hacking that Twitter is the easiest way to do it. They drop the link. They get how many ever clicks he gets till it gets removed. So those people now have fallen prey to the hacker and the scam. So if somebody were to hack my Twitter or my LinkedIn and then start throwing posts, they would know that I've got a group of connections who would 
probably click on it. And so it's not about just hacking you. It's about hacking the people you know and building a larger pool of victims because that's when you really have to deal with the way those things happen. So essentially we need to change the mindset of um, in, in personal and business, right? Oh, no one wants to hack little of me, so why, why should I care? Like, well, why should this matter to me? You see, and I know you've seen the image on LinkedIn, the guy who is going for a cybersecurity budget and they're pushing pennies at him before the breach, then after, that's a stack of hundreds. Okay, we have to lose the mindset that we can only afford security after a breach. The expense of cybersecurity helps us avoid the expense of fines and judgments and insurance premiums. Right. And some of these industries like financial, legal, healthcare, health records, like if you get one little breach, you got to notify all of your customers that we've been for breached like and, and you get charged to, per record. Yeah. For like 20 years in some cases. So that is like personal brand damage. I mean, I mean. That's uh, huge brand one, damage. Long brand damage, right? Oh, yeah. It's crazy. But, you know, that that's the thing that as as we close down, it's cybersecurity protects your company, protects you, protects your customers. But in a larger standpoint, it protects the brand in a way that is immeasurable because you can say this is what we were able to detect and stop before it became an issue. That helps uplift your brand over somebody else who maybe had a breach two days earlier. You're never going to stop all of them. It's just not going to happen. These guys come at you all day, every day, and they're going to do little things to see how far they can get each direction. If they get caught, they'll stop, they'll wait, and they'll be patient, and then they'll find the next opportunity to come at you. When they do, it could be a few dollars, it could be a few hundred, or it could be millions. It's still going to wind up being a lot more expensive to deal with the breach afterwards than ponying up good defenses prior. Defense in depth is the name of the game. The more layers you have to your onion, the better you are. So, very well said, Royce. Well, um, as we're wrapping up, <clears throat> I know you had a limited time here, so um, the floor is yours. Anything you missed? Anything that um, top of the mind that you wanted to get out? No, I think we've covered a lot of things, and you know, as usual, whenever we talk, I'm always willing to come back and uh, do more and make sure that I have some of the more nefarious devices with me to show off next time. So that way we can talk about those. That would be super, super cool. All right. Uh, what, what would you call it? An Uber wand? An, uh, so, so is that, is that, uh, that like, like hacks an Uber driver? <laughs> no, the, the Uber tooth is a Bluetooth hacking device. And then the yardstick does Wi-Fi hacking. And then there's, like you said, the Raspberry Pi that can be configured. And then there's also the Hack 5 Pineapple. And Hack5 is actually a group of very educated people who are putting together very good devices for pen testers to help make the job easy. 
and they're doing it in a very awesome way. So Darren Kitchen and his crew really deserve a big hand on that. Hmm. Well, I got to hand it to cybersecurity uh, industry. Like they, we come up with some of the some of the weirdest and also most creative names. Usually a lot of acronyms, um, but uh, we live in acronym land in technology anyway. So. Well, but that's that's really where they depend on guys like us to help bring it from an acronym to something they understand. From an acronym to an actual business outcome. Absolutely. Right. Can can you state the case? Can you give me a reason why it's going to cost so much? And is it going to be worth every dollar of protection we're putting forward? And sometimes we don't know. No. But we just take our best guess. Yep. We do. And that's one of the reasons why I'm I'm glad you're doing this because this makes it a lot easier for us to build that case. Well, absolutely, man. I appreciate your time today. Um, just closing us out, um, uh, any resource that you use personally or professionally that you would mind sharing with us, either that's an app, a book, um, a, a website, a group? Um, so there's a lot of publications from EC Council. There's a lot from ISC Square. And those both give you a lot of information about what's coming down the pipe and what's been detected, what could give heads up about what could be done to protect things. Is that a website? Is that an actual thing that people can do? Like yeah, one, one actionable the, thing they could do? You can go out to the EC Council and see general recommendations. Um, Is that ECCouncil.com? I think it's .org. Okay, I'll look it up and add it to the feed here. Try, trying, to, trying to make sure that we leave everyone with at least one actionable CTA that would provide value to them? Well, so the the biggest value add that I have seen when I've worked with people in a residential scenario is just making sure they stack their own router behind that transport provider. So whether you have fiber, cable, DSL, or even point-to-point wireless, as long as you have an Ethernet jack on that device, you can stack your own router behind it and give yourself some additional encryption. And it's only as much as you want to spend. I mean, there are routers that cost four or $500 and from Netgear, and they're worth it. Or you can get a Netgear Nighthawk, what is it, X5 for like, what, 120 I think? So we're not good using uh, Eero, now owned by Amazon, with Eero Security? <laughs> um, I'm not going to knock on Amazon. I'm not going to knock on the Eero product because when you talk about doing a Wi-Fi mesh that tries to limit the external range, that's actually fabulous. Because with a lot of routers, you don't have range control. You have power control, which controls range but you don't really have range control with truly directional antennas. That's where the Eero product is actually fabulous because you put it on a wall and the antenna goes this way. Mm. People don't really think about the way the antenna's aimed. It's a metal plate on the back of that thing. It's not going to transmit out past your brick wall. That's a really great point. Now, if you plug it in where you need it to go both ways, that's not going to work so great. 
But I mean, that's that's why we have Wi-Fi extenders, right? That have antennas that you can twist multiple directions, or throw an extension cord and use a command strip and mount it somewhere where you can get the antennas both directions. But again, that's where Eero is actually a good product. Okay, um, another easy to set up thing is Netgear's Nighthawk it's just literally a little bitty router that all it does is launch the Bitdefender stuff in your home oh and really? It's Bit, defend, Bit Defender for the home? yeah it's, Okay. that's literally all it's there for McAfee has another one Bitdefender is an anti-virus anti-malware essentially, but it's one of, one of the good ones. Yeah, uh, McAfee has one, Norton has one, but Bitdefender gets a lot of knowledge points because they've built a very clean, very fast product, and they run one of the better, we're, we're going to call a pew-pew map because it looks exactly like war games out of the 80s with Matthew Broderick, okay? It's basically highlighting the attacks on Bitdefender's site. So if you want to go out online and understand the amount of attacks that the United States sees from a cyber point of view, look at the Bitdefender heat map. It's ridiculous. That'd be a good link to throw Is that out a map there. we can find? What's it called? Yeah. The Bitdefender what? Go, go look at the Bitdefender attack map. I pulled this up on the screen here. Bit Defender Threat Map. There you go. Okay. There you go. I'm going to send this out there. Oh, man. That's pretty cool. And that's one that is actually on one of my computers 24 7. All right, check this out. Bit I'm going to put this in the comments here for you guys. Bit Defender Threat Map. I need to get myself a Jamie, like, permanently. <laughs> From the Joe Rogan show. <laughs> He's got a guy in the back <laughs> named Jamie. Yeah. Yeah. Would definitely help. But, you know, that's the thing, right? So you're you're getting this started. It's all just us sitting here talking and people listening online. They've learned something, they've commented, they've shared what they're concerned with, we've responded to it. The more this happens, the more cybersecurity education happens. I Just agree. Just point blank. I agree. Well, I appreciate it, man. I know you got to get back to get back to the office. Yeah, I do. So thanks so much for, for uh, coming down tonight. Today, really appreciate it. Hey, podcast listeners. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, be sure to follow us on social media platforms, hashtag dialed in live. You can join the live stream of this show and be part of the show by calling in at any point in time. That's the best part of this. Uh, so hope to see you there. Again, hashtag dialed in live. Follow us on LinkedIn every Tuesday, Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. See you there.